0: developer live episode 47 did i say john
1: you did and i almost believed it and i think it was how are you mr john fox i'm dandy i woke up this morning at three at three okay because when did you get back into the usa yesterday at around uh 1 30 or so p.m took about an hour to get through through customs but well, even as an american there, you were welcome back to the even into your as an american there's no benefit love and because joy. we're such a welcoming nation we open up far more lanes for foreigners but the the, the the near highlight of my arrival is I flew Virgin. I guess they, they, they have been disrespecting British Airways since the beginning of their ex, of their existence. And uh, when we landed, the steward got on the mic and says, well, hurry up because there's a, a plane full of British Airways people and we want to beat them to customs because they're not nearly as nice as Virgin passengers.
0: <laughs> now, with me in the studio today, we have two guests in the studio, not one. And what a beautiful sight it is I sit and look at. one of them, One of them is our... Our regular favourite, the wonderful, the one and only Mr. Simon Wolf. Good afternoon. Oh, Everyone, I'm sorry. Come on, <laughs> chat room. Everybody join in now. Let's do it together. Now, also with him, we have, um, we have the equally beautiful Mr. Saw Mora. We've got no noise for Saw. No what way. story should we have for Saw? <laughs>
1: Don't make Probably the, gir- the gurgling of a water pipe is my guess.
0: <laughs> now, you see, the problem is we know that they can, um, they have to behave themselves and only one can talk at a time because we're still so boxed up from NS Conference and everything that we only have one microphone um, and they're having to share it. So well, We have two microphones, but I get one to myself being special and um, then they get uh, to share one. But actually, Saul, it's been a while since uh, you've been on the show, I think. So, um, well, last week, actually. <laughs> Quite a long but, time. But, but yes. the, the last time, <laughs> remind everybody who you are because, I mean, I think you know, all seven people who listened last
2: time might not know um, yeah so I'm Sol Mora. I do another competing podcast sort of and uh, oh, yeah, yeah I just do uh, iOS development and I'm recently gone indie so uh, I'm uh, trying to uh, get that ball rolling myself
1: You'll note that it's important in life to keep your friends close and your competing podcast enemies closer.
0: Yeah, I noticed that the very first thing he said was he does a competing podcast. You, you might as well have said the name of it. Now you've
2: stabbed me in the heart. <laughs> well, yeah, so the, uh, the other podcast is called NS Brief, and uh, you can uh, listen to the, the, the plethora of back catalog episodes on nsbrief.com. Uh They don't all seem to show up in iTunes. But, uh, you know, being up here in the studio, it's, it's interesting how, how professional this is. I mean, you've got all these computers, all these lights shining in our eyes here, and you've actually got a, a whole giant switchboard of knobs, which I thought you were really just joking about that before, but it's actually real.
0: Yeah, well, there's, not, there's some reasons for some things. I mean, uh, the lights are on because uh, we have studio lights on because the, actually the electricity in this building is so poor – that if we um, just run the normal lights, we get so much audio interference. So, this isn't to be professional, this is to stop the show blowing up. Um,
2: <laughs> that's a good
0: excuse. <laughs> uh, uh, that's it here. I, I, you'll notice that the desk facilities are quite poor as you rest your iPads on chairs. Um, we probably should get a photo of this for the show notes, I should think, at some point. Um, and um, there we are. And are, uh, yes, I do have lots of knobs, if you'll excuse the phrase, um, uh, that I, I randomly twiddle when there are guests in the studio to make it look like I know what I'm doing. Um, but other than that, I normally leave them alone because Dave tells me off if I touch the stuff. So right, okay. All of us have been at NS conference now. Um, you know, uh, John, you travelled the furthest for it, so I'm going to let you go first. You know, just um, uh, you know, what 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 did you come away from NS conference with? a uh, is the biggest thing that uh, you learned, or was an impact on you, or affected you, or is going to make you say you're never coming back again?
1: Oh, I would never say I'm never coming back again. I I. I you know the, the the conference presentations were as excellent as ever ever. You know I particularly appreciated uh, appreciated Aral's, um, and I also very much appreciated the labs. Um, I wish I had been able to go to the business development lab with with Michael Simmons, but I did manage to go to the design lab with and, and, uh, Aral sorry, and sorry, and Mike Lee and and uh, Matt Gemmel. and that was particularly useful to me. And it was interesting because it it at first i thought it was going to be kind of a wwc lab where you you'd sign up and you get a time slot and you would kind of get your your 10 minutes alone um but in fact it was done group style and i think actually it's quite useful because even even if other people's apps were you know were doing things that were wildly different from yours what what became clear is that there is a a repeatable process when you're trying to improve the user experience of your app and, th- and that was that was apparent from from when the first person went you know kind of came in and immediately had very specific questions like you know What color should this button be, and where should be presented? And and you know, Aral quickly kind of said, "No, put that away. I don't want to see your UI now." What? Tell me what your app does. And that that was that was very interesting because we get so used to to kind of getting down to the minutia of it. And I think as as a conference attendee, when you have experts around you, you tend to want to kind of. Maximize the the time you have with them, and say, "Okay, I've got my long list of questions, and I'm just going to fire them off." and And I would imagine, from his perspective or the perspective of the expert on the other side, um, that can be a little bit jarring because you're you're asked to make a pronouncement on the spot without a whole lot of context. So it, it was interesting to, to to for me to be an observer of the process, and I also benefited from from you know being a participant in the process. Okay. Cool. stunning uh, silence. It, it
0: was. No, actually, it's it, it's funny, isn't it? Because you know, you, you, we do conference feedback afterwards. We've probably had about um, between eighty and one hundred emails back in so far, which is you know about half the attendees in responses. And you know, it, it's really interesting to watch how some people you know said exactly what you've just said about the design lab you know the fact that we just sat down we did stuff together we went through it brilliant and then other people are saying i wanted my problem fixed and you know i'm not saying they're wrong but you know they went in for a different reason and this is you know as a conference organizer can't please all of the people all of the time and it's you know it's it's interesting just to to get feedback
2: on that so um, well so I was going to add to that is there um, anything against asking just other people that you meet at the conference I mean the fact that you have so many other people uh, interested in this space in one particular physical location have you has anybody just kind of you know taken their app and just like shown it to people I mean I'm sure that happens uh, in just regular conversation but do you ever you know you have a particular problem and just show it to like 10 people and kind of see what the consensus is
1: that way it's something I, I do regularly, and and we actually talked about it a couple episodes back. I think there really is nothing like just watching somebody take your app. I mean, there, I think there are all sorts of things that approaches you can take. Um, depending on where you are with with the design of it, whether you're kind of the very early things validating some basic principles, or whether you're you're trying to kind of really polish things up as much as you possibly can, but I think in general, if your app can't be handed to somebody and have somebody kind of figure it out right away, then then you've got some problems. And the temptation is is so so strong when when you've been working so hard on an app and you've been deep in the 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 woods with it. To hand it to somebody, and then you want to kind of sit there and explain everything to them, and, and if you do that, you you pretty much kill the the benefit of g- giving it to somebody and having them work on it with beginner's mind. So, I, I think that I think the difference between showing it to, to random people, uh, you know, and and showing it to somebody who really knows what they're doing, someone like a, a Matt Gemmel or or, or all. Um, is 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 you don't get the chance, you know, every day. I guess, suppose if you if you live in in whichever you know bar it is that that Matt frequents, um, you might have the opportunity more often. But I don't, um, so I was very happy to have that, you know, even just a little bit of time with him. And I, I suspect other people felt the same.
0: Okay, Mr. Wolf. Okay, so I actually realised I didn't give you a chance to speak, but I'll come back to you in a minute, don't worry. Mm-hmm. When people are in the studio, they just get abused. <laughs>
3: um, I thought it was, uh, generally as ever, a, a very good conference. Um, it was a slightly weird one for me this year, because I did spend uh, uh, quite a lot of time catching up with um, clients. Um, and I also spent a lot of time with um, the designer that I'm using for Avtag, um which is Marcello Lupi, um, from the almost now infamous Wrinkly P. Um, but it was good, that, uh, as have a good mix of content, um, speakers were incredibly professional, um, I was particularly impressed with, with some of the, the Blitz Talk guys who didn't speak English as a first language um, and were basically standing up in front of a full conference of, of people um, because of the way it was set up this year, um, and I think everybody did really, really well. Um, it was good fun, the, the food was good, the entertainment was good. Um, yeah, generally, as, as as has now become the norm, uh, an excellent conference.
2: Now we'll let Saul have a speak. Well, NS conference is uh, grown to be my favorite conference uh, of the year, um, as uh, some people who follow me on Twitter would know. I go to several, and uh, this is definitely one that I've uh, paid money for uh, time and again. I guess, um, but you know the the. The thing that i like about this conference is the the uh the chance to meet people from uh from europe uh it's it's rare when when europeans come to uh, the u.s and a lot of americans don't go to european conferences and uh just to meet a lot of other people and and this particular conference in particular uh i've or at least this particular um uh this past week i got to meet a whole lot of uh different people which was really cool it's always fun to meet people that uh you know uh write the code that i use as far as like open source libraries and things like that so um yeah i, I don't know if anything in particular stands out for me but uh, it's, it's just you know it's just a, a great event to be at it's a it's a great vibe it's great to be sequestered and uh um for 3 days and just to be forced to meet as many people as you can and it's still large enough where I didn't really get to meet everybody because there was uh, I was talking to somebody on today who had uh, he was the guy who wrote the the PDF kit thing and had sold it uh, on his own, and uh, we never got the chance to bump into each other. So it's it's still small but still large enough where we uh, we still kind of miss uh, some people from time to time.
0: There we are. I've had enough of listening to people telling me how great it is now because you know. They've all sent me emails. I know what they really think. So <laughs> so, so there, we, there we are. And it's, you yeah, know, just on the show, they give you the, the waffle. I think, um, uh, where should we go first? I, I think, let's let's do it because he's come here, especially to do a live version. We still haven't got any music. So, John, you're going to have to butt in here. Let's do the Avtag Diaries.
1: Okay, go ahead. Yeah, that was pretty poor.
3: God, the show's cheap.
0: Just um, like the guests.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Unlike um, um, when I normally pre-record these, I don't have a, a full set of notes this week um, just because I'm in, in post-NS conference chaos. Um, but the one thing that I did want to sort of briefly touch on, which maybe uh, we can we can discuss amongst us, was that, as I said, one of the things I did at the conference was sit down with Marcello um, and start working with him um, in more of the detailed design aspects of Avtag. Now, I've never been in a position before where I can sit with a a designer I'm working with, and it was a complete revelation to me. Um, Normally, we'll we'll chat on Skype, we'll send screenshots to each other, and that kind of works. But having actually sat down with somebody next to them and been able to point out things in the designs and say, can we change this, can we adjust this colour, can we move this, and have them actually do it in front of you, with Photoshop and give you their feedback and their reasons for for why they've done things the way they've done them is fantastic. It was a complete revelation to me. Now, there's not much I can do, and, and I, like, I guess a lot of people aren't in a position where there's some local designer guy who happens to be absolutely fabulous and only lives five minutes away, but it does, uh, or it has given me the impetus that I am now going to go over to um, Amsterdam at some point, and I'm going to spend a couple of days with Marcello to go over designs. And I'll probably do that hopefully a couple of times during the the evolution of the designs and the user interface of the application. And and I would recommend if you can ever get together with somebody who's doing the design and artwork for your application, do it. Because just a couple of hours with them face-to-face over a computer, I think is worth a day or two days of swapping emails and and discussing things on Skype and and trying to sort of go through things that way. Now, obviously, the, the whole sort of going over things through Skype and email, everything works, um, and you get great results. But for efficiency and productivity, just that investment of, of going and traveling and spending a couple of days away from home, I think to me, will definitely be worth it.
0: As we're live here, I get the opportunity to interrupt you, which I can never do when you've recorded, and it's really irritating. I I could press pause, I guess, but that would probably be bad. But I just want to come in and actually agree with you, because, I mean, um, when we were doing the iDeveloper TV websites uh, last time, um, I was in Amsterdam, which where the designer was, in fact, the same designer you're using, um, and you yeah, know we we just spent some time in the shared workspace um in in one afternoon, the amount of variations we went through, the amount of little trials that we did to see if something worked or didn't work would have would have taken literally days to do um by email or he would have had to thought of twenty five different things and you know, if if they were going off down a path that I didn't like, I could immediately say, yeah, I like that or I don't like that, um, and so I, I just think this uh, yeah this aspect of being able to get in the room with the designer, so you can see your facial expressions that you know you can't hide the fact that you're looking like you're about to throw up all over <laughs> the thing that he's doing, um, yeah, and he can read off it is is really worth it. I mean, and. I don't know, you know, designers aren't cheap. They're not overly expensive, but they're not cheap either. And, and sometimes it might be actually worth even, you know, especially for the US, you know, getting on a plane, going somewhere for the day or, or, or two days, spending that time with the designer, getting the job done, um, and then going home again, as opposed to a long, iterative process. It um, probably won't end up costing you a lot more because you can be really that… Um, well, that's my opinion, yep. because you can really be that more dynamic um, and end up with something that you 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 really own because you've been part of the process as well. Sometimes I find the whole um, uh, remote design process, that it comes back and I like it and it's good and I can see what I've said, but I, I don't know, I didn't feel like I necessarily owned it. Whereas when I was involved in the actual face-to-face process, there was ownership in that for me as well, which made me far more excited about putting the thing together as well.
3: And it's, it's much easier... When you're face to face doing the whole critique side of it and the criticism, because as you say, they can see your face and it's not just a a sort of a sterile email or a a Skype chat. When you don't like something and you say it, I think it probably comes across a lot better and you don't get that whole thing where you start to feel guilty about saying, I don't like this and I don't like that and can we change it?
0: Yeah, yeah, by email, yeah, you don't really want to just write back and say it's crap. That's you know, where I've been going wrong. We now. are dealing with humans, um, and so you sort of say it's almost crap, uh, but it's um, or mostly crap or something. But uh, when you say yeah, I'm I'm not sure, maybe you know that can be a mixed signal. Whereas if you say yeah, I'm not sure, maybe in you're in the room, they can say okay, you're being polite. Let's move on and whatever else. Yep. So I think actually that, that that sort of negative side of the process of saying I don't like it's easier face-to-face. Definitely. Maybe. Um, but yes, Saul, do you, I mean, you've worked with designers on various things. Do, I mean, have you had the experience of being in the room with them or, or remote? Have you got a comparison to make?
2: Uh, so back when I was employed, I used to work with a designer uh, fairly frequently. And uh, it's amazing how, how much work you can get done when you're not with them, you know, you don't have it You're not with them 100% of the time, but you're you're there enough so you can just go to the next room and say, Hey, this design isn't working because of this actual interaction. Or they'll tell you that this is the intended way that this interaction is is supposed to be uh, to work on the phone or whatever on the device. And uh, it's definitely much better to have, you know, just those five minutes. If all you have is five minutes, walk through your scenario and get that little problem fixed then to do things over email because it, it, when you're talking about interactions and the look and feel and things that are, are innately hard to describe in words, uh, you tend to use gestures and you tend to use other forms of communication that don't easily translate uh, electronically. So it's definitely been better in my experience to do that.
0: So do you think actually we should be working with designers uh,
2: if we can't get there,
0: we should be more using screen sharing and equally using video Skype and in and, and, and having a session that way as opposed to just Backwards and forwards, do you think? Do you think you get the same effect? You know,
2: one thing that uh, it reminds me of uh, back um, in NS conference Atlanta, uh, Drew McCormick had done a uh, talk about uh, his his uh, one of his games that he did uh, sumo something, and uh, all the screen things, all the recordings that he did were to send the recordings of his game over. Um, to his designer, he would just take a screen capture and re- and record you know a thirty second or a one minute long screencast of the thing in action, and then ask his designer um, to to see uh, you know what the, you know what he could do with that that kind of motion and things. So I mean, there are there are alternative ways to get your your message across if you can't you know sit in front of a designer, um, but definitely if you if you can do it in person, it's
1: much better. John, do you have an opinion on this? um no i 'm not not wildly different from what 's already been said i think it's 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 interesting because one of the the, the side benefits of having been now to a couple of n s conferences from and from having done this this podcast is is getting a larger network of people to work with and it 's true i 've never realized how much how much more effective it can be with working directly with somebody but it, that that's the kind of the tragedy, at least for me in San Francisco, is that, that yeah, sure, there are plenty of, of talented people, but it, this market is, is being – there's so much money with so much you know funding floating around that, that anybody who's any good is, is impossible to, to get a hold of. And so I kind of depend on – that's my dirty little secret of, of trying to find people in other parts of the world who are, are equally talented. But because they aren't in the world's most expensive cities, you, know, you, you, you can afford to, to get them, and they're they're, they're possibly available. This, this will surely no longer be the case with Marcello now since uh, since everybody wants him.
2: Yeah, you know, the other thing that I've uh, kind of started to endeavor on is finding uh, designers or trying to find designers that are a little cheaper and that might not know exactly how the device and the interactions work, but train them myself. So it's kind of like the give-take thing where I, I tell them how things work, how how certain designs that they might be used to might not work, and train them how to do it so then I can get a better rate for a lot of the graphic stuff. And then they also get the benefit of learning from me how the device works so that they can go on in their career and and be more of an app designer specifically if that's what they're actually looking for. A lot of times, a lot of the um, web designers are looking to get into the app space. Um, but I've also found that a lot of web designers are very poor at it as well.
0: I mean, I think there's an argument coming on now that if you do a lot of contract work, even sometimes if you were... Um, literally a solo contractor, but you took on lots of clients and you always were working with the designer, um, that you know, I hear people begin to make the argument that actually it's almost worth employing a designer, taking a designer on staff, using them for all your projects, hiring them out for other projects, giving them the experience, giving them the ability to sit with the developers and learn because actually you're more likely to make money and take your company forward by that than actually taking on a second developer to do more contract work. Um, so, you know, but again, I think, you know, the good designers are really, really busy. Um, and it's about, you know, taking on potential young designers, but that's a gamble because as we know, there are a lot of guys out there as designers who actually, what they're producing. It's not that it's not great, but I think the, the whole understanding the device, um, it, it's uh, sometimes you'll receive something and it's obvious that someone has used a print media designer or even um, you know, a web designer. Um, and, you know, understanding the device just doesn't it doesn't come across in the design. And that's huge. Um, so to go the way you've just said, you know, you, you're going to have to realize that, you know, it's going to take a while, isn't it? You're not going to get top notch work straight away. Um, there's going to be an investment going on there.
3: The only, uh, the only other couple of things that I'll, I'll quickly throw into the mix here is that when you are face to face with a designer, it's really, really easy to discuss animations and animation effects you're going to have in the application, which I've found incredibly difficult to do, certainly via email and even via sort of a Skype video chat. But when you're sitting down with somebody, obviously you've got your hands, you've got bits of paper and everything else, and, and discussing that aspect of the project and the user interface that was incredibly useful and incredibly easy to do. So that's another reason, definitely, for, for sitting down with somebody. The other thing was, and it a complete aside to that, is that um, you, sort of, you see the, the, the artwork that these guys produce. When you're sitting with one of them and watching them use Photoshop, it is a complete eye-opener. It is incredible because you can just say to them, actually, can we just change this? And the speed that they can change things and, and modify the effect and the whole look of it very, very quickly... Is astounding. I mean, these are really, really skilled guys. And I know um, quite often, you know, people will look at designs for applications and sort of say, oh, you know, that's okay. Or, you know, it's not brilliant and stuff. And then you get sort of the next level where you've got a really, really talented designer. What these guys are doing is absolutely brilliant. I know nothing about Photoshop. I know nothing about art or design and, and you know, whether something looks good or bad. And to be perfectly honest, having sat down with, with actually it was two designers at the conference and seeing them use Photoshop and the way they use it and the effects they can do, incredible, absolutely mind-blowing.
0: It is, isn't it? And then you wonder how many hours they've charged you for when they can do it so darn fast. (laughs) Yeah, there is that. (laughs) (laughs) Right, I interrupted you halfway through the Avtag diaries. Is there more?
3: Um, Not a a whole lot more, obviously. How disappointing. At the the conference, it was a lot about the design. Um, I spent a a fair chunk of time talking with existing clients about their timescales and current projects and wrapping up bits and what we're going to take forward so that I can fit the AVTAG work in that I need to to do where I need some dedicated time. Um, Since the conference, there have been bits of development, and it's quite good now that I've had a chance to sit down with the designer, and I've got a much better idea of what the user interface is going to be and how the application is almost going to be structured because, to a degree, some of that's been driven by the user interface design, it means that I can now get on and and stop writing so much sort of low-level behind-the-scenes code and start moving more into the interface code, even though I haven't got finished artwork and and finished art assets, I can start getting on with with more of the sort of the top-level work without worrying about the fact that the whole lot's going to have to be thrown away and I'll have to start again when I actually finally get designs.
0: I mean, even a simple decision like it's going to be tab-based or it's going to be this or it's going to be that although that's very vague, that that allows you to start putting an infrastructure of of a UI together um, as opposed to just guessing and then your designer saying, "Yeah," and trying to be polite and nice, but what they're really saying is, actually, you haven't got a flaming clue what you're doing. Yes. Let me come back in here. And
3: this is the downside when you're working with a busy designer. Of course, he's juggling clients as well. And so you don't always get things as quickly as you'd like. Um, And it's understandable because as a developer, I'm in that same position. So having a, a, an almost like a, a sort of a temporary head start of, of having seen what things are going to look like, I now know where we're going with the application and, and the design and the interface. And this seems to be much more important on on the iPhone or the iPad than it does on the Mac, where I've always found it a bit easier to, to have more separation in the user interface, um, whereas on the iOS devices, it seems quite a lot of the time that because of the way that the controllers are set up, a lot of the structure of the application is driven by the user interface rather than any other way.
1: That is an interesting point. I, I found that to be the case as well, and it's it's, it's always interesting to switch back between uh, you know macOS and iOS and and, and have to readjust.
0: I, I think one one of the things to me, having just watched a couple of products uh, that. Are, you yeah, we're starting to see now products come out that originated on iOS and now there are Mac versions coming out as opposed to a couple of years ago. It was the opposite way around, wasn't it? That people were taking iOS versions of their Mac products. And, um, you know, some of these are coming from people who have sort of started their Objective-C Xcode life. On um, on iOS and now they know yeah, they're just suddenly the thing they're constantly saying is boy how much more complex is UI and design and trying to get this stuff right on the Mac than it is on the phone or, or, or the iPad just because of the variations and it's um, yeah it, it's again it's a I think it's a totally different skill set designing for the Mac again, totally different set of interactions in, in, in whatever else. And it's, it's really, you know, are you keyboard driven? Are you mouse driven? Are you, you know, you can allow them to use all the space fixed size windows. You have so many choices that have changed your design that it's just, um, uh, that's an interesting experience. And so maybe we'll talk about it separately another day.
2: Uh, yeah. So I, I, we had, uh, or Simon had mentioned a quick thing in there about, um, sending animations and trying to get feedback from a designer. And uh, one thing that I'm going to try with with actually my designer, I know maybe this is a little premature on as far as a, a tip, but uh, have you ever heard of the the, the app called Hype? Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. So Simon says yes. Um, John, <laughs> because we've taken yes. his microphone yeah. Yeah. so that he can't, yeah. he, would, <laughs> he can't he can't interrupt you if you steal his microphone.
1: All right. Well, there's only one microphone anyway. So. He was on the show. The guy who made Hype. Oh, okay. Well, great. Oh, no, uh, we talked we talked about it, but no, he wasn't on the show. Okay. But the, great app. Yeah. So so the thing is. <laughs> It's all right. Everybody right
2: here knows what they're doing, right? Yes. Uh, so that app, if, if uh, for those who aren't aware, is a, is a nice little keyframe kind of animation app. You can import your images and move stuff around. And you can animate things and then push play and it animates. And the nice thing about that is it exports it to HTML and CSS. And it uses all the CSS3 style animations, which means you can kind of get the idea of what your animation is trying to do without any code. And not only that, it you can export it in an email or even just post it on a public web page and say, hey, look at this animation. Um, this is probably what I'm looking for. Um, and he can also do the same thing on his own. He's like, "Hey, this is what I think I should do instead," and you know, you can kind of get an agreement that way. So I'm trying. I'm going to think I'm going to use that as a form of communication between um, uh, with my own designer when I when I uh, get back to uh, writing code again.
0: You mean when you get back to writing code after your. Um
2: after my uh, sabbatical, yeah,
0: let's let's say we, it's great to have brother Saul here in the um in, in the studio with us. He's, he's on his uh, pilgrimage around uh, developer Europe or developer world. He, he's donned the the habit and uh, <laughs> wearing his um, Hessian based underwear, and he's set off to experience life at a lower level. Um, <laughs>
2: Uh, I, was, I was actually looking for enlightenment, but uh, well, maybe I need to go somewhere else. But instead, he found Mike Lee and went to Amsterdam. Oh. So, <laughs> um Okay. Uh,
0: so, so I mean, okay, this isn't strictly a developer topic, but, I mean, you're from Denver, Colorado at yes. the moment. Um, uh, you, you have um, a wife and, and children. Uh, yes,
2: I do have a family. And uh, my daughter's birthday was yesterday. Uh, she just turned eight. And uh, I was here. So, I got to FaceTime her and... Uh, you know, experience uh, life in the future, so to speak.
0: So, uh, and there you are, and, and yet you have spent. You know, I don't know how long this couple of months. It's
2: it's uh, it's been a month. I'm on the the, the I'm on the the backstretch uh, now. I I leave uh, for the states uh, April twenty second. Uh, so yeah, I've been uh, I've been spending the last month in Amsterdam and uh, uh, just kind of living the life there. I really, you know, the, I think I mentioned this on the last show is like the the goal uh for me to stay there uh, for so long was to really just get over the tourist hangover um because in most places I visit it's like oh yeah I could live here and uh you never really get a sense of why things are annoying or why you know why you wouldn't live there and I you know I wanted to be there long enough to to get that and uh, I think I might have <laughs> okay so you you're someone who's done
0: probably uh, most of us you know I think um I've visited Amsterdam John's visited Amsterdam but you know, we're talking a few days you you've spent almost a month there so um, and I'll be spending another month when I go back. And you're going back there um, Wednesday issue, whenever it is. Right. Um, so, you know, what's your impression? As the developers come from the US to look at this, to get involved in the culture. I mean, um, you know, how, how what have you? What do you feel about the whole thing now? I mean. You know, where is it at really in, in its, its fate? I mean, we all know this. it's still only just, well, it's less than a year old, Amsterdam. So, you know, it, to have any expectations that are too big about it is is unfair. So, yeah, you know, I, I think an honest appraisal of where you think it's at is not going to necessarily do Amsterdam yeah, up I or mean, down. Yeah, because- I have
2: nothing negative to say about Amsterdam uh, specifically. Um, it, it, to me, it feels like um, maybe a, a step above uh, a co-working um, it's more like it's expanding Because I, I do a lot of co-working in, in the US Especially being indie uh, I like to be around other people Just uh, uh, you know, to, to share ideas and to talk to people I'm a slightly social I suppose um, But I, 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 it feels to me like uh, co-working at this point um, But they're trying to get bigger And it's a little bit more in that they do these you know, the the lectures on Wednesday and they have the meeting and drinking uh, every Wednesday and uh, they do the guru session. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of points around the community that they've tried to, to brand. And it, it really what it needs to do, I think. Um, uh, from my perspective is is kind of coalesce all these things and and really have a physical location. The fact that they have opened this h uh, q maybe a couple of weeks prior to my arrival seemed to be a really big turning point for them so and I think they 're going to look for more uh, physical space so the one that they 're in now uh, as awesome as it as it is uh, will run out uh, in May, so they won 't have this particular place forever. Which is a shame It's a really great place It's it's a fantastic spot And um, if you're in Amsterdam uh, And you're a developer I recommend uh, Go stopping by the HQ And uh, saying (laughs) hi to everybody It's a great place To to go work And meet And talk to everybody And get the feel of, of things Um, But as far as the movement itself, it it does have a little ways to go, but I I think it's going in the right direction. I really like where things are going.
0: So do you think Amsterdam is trying to model something that the rest of us could then take and and, and do? Say, say for example, okay, it's about co-working, uh, it's about doing some social time together, um, and it's about doing some lunchtime tech sessions. So, I mean, could you go home, really, and just go and and, um, create, you know… Denver app or something you know just would would someone who set up a co, co-working space that had also the, that periphery social side and, and tech side around it you do the same thing or is there something special about it being Amsterdam I mean other than the fact that you're visiting and it's nice
2: well so you know you know the um, the thing I think to me is that it is about the community it's about getting people together and it's great to have everybody in the same physical location and Amsterdam is a great place in general. Um, Amsterdam, as a government, is trying to get more technology companies in there. Uh, for Americans, it's really great because uh, you can start a business there really easily. Um, I guess in the eurozone, you can also do something. You can um, you can start a business there as well. And they really want tech businesses. Basically, if you really want to move to the Netherlands and to Amsterdam, uh, it's the process is really easy because you want, if you want to do a tech business. That's what they want. They basically just rubber stamp everything and you go. Um, But it's really about getting people together. And uh, you could do it elsewhere. And I think it's still possible. And I think they're also looking at having uh, Amsterdam embassies uh, throughout the world. I think they've got a few in the Netherlands. I think they're starting one in Italy and uh, Spain. Um, So they're trying to get uh, this kind of world-branded thing that... You know, it doesn't matter where in the world you are. We're all covered under the same organization, and I think that is is the end goal to have basically a worldwide Amsterdam kind of thing going on, and I think it's well on its way.
0: Okay, that's cool. So, I mean, um, y- your wife's not listening. You're going to move there?
2: Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. That's still a tough choice. Um, the, the The hard thing I found about Europe is it's not the, the 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 lots of Europeans. No, the Europeans are great. I love you guys. These are. You guys are really friendly. Um, I love, especially love the guys that speak English. (laughs) It makes it really easy for me. Um, But I'm I'm actually I'm loving you know the the mixture of cultures, how everybody gets along. Um, uh, It it almost seems like a model for the U.S., which is anyway I'm not going to go there. Um, But as far as moving there, I'm not quite decided yet. Um, Even if it were possible for me to move there uh, soon, I probably wouldn't move there uh, permanently. Uh, I would move there for the experience, kind of what I'm doing now, except maybe even longer, bring the family, come out for a year or two and do that and head back. Um, uh, hopefully by then things were a little better in the U.S. I don't know, but we'll see. Moving there, not quite yet.
0: John, um, last time you went to Upstate, you were thinking of uh, you were going as a recce to see if you – might be come over and spend a few months yourself is that still on your plans was it attractive enough what you saw to make that happen still I'm
1: still planning on doing it basically I think I have about uh, six weeks max that I can do it during the summer I mean I I do intend on on staying uh, in San Francisco through you know through WWDC whenever that is and maybe you know a couple days afterwards to to get things done but uh, public schools in San Francisco start on the ridiculous early August 15th so I have to be back by then so that leaves me that you know all July and some portion of of, of, August. So, um, I, I had the chance actually just before coming to, uh, to NS conference to, to, to start the process again of, of, uh, of getting a house swap. And I have a couple of leads now and it, you know, there, there are plenty of people who want to, uh, come to San Francisco and, you know, sitting back and listening to all this, what's interesting is, is that, you know, Mike Lee said that, that one of the big, emph- you know, uh, inspirations for, for creating Amsterdam was the experience of, of NS conference itself. and, and, it is a pretty marvelous thing that we can sit here talking about all these different approaches for for being an indie and, and we're no longer kind of constrained to to what's around us you know we 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 do have the ability to go you know take a couple of months or take a couple of weeks to to go travel somewhere we do have the ability to collaborate with people from all over the world and it it, it is pretty stunning how quickly this is this has happened um it just makes me very happy to to think about it
0: it is. It's quite say. I mean, it's only just about a year since the idea was even raised, and uh, so the fact that we don't even have anything of any substance to talk about at all is uh, uh, is impressive. And yet, it is only a year, and it's this. You know, to get something like this running, you've you've got to be looking at a sort of a, you know a five to ten year plan. You know, to 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 get that world domination that that, uh, that people are after. Simon, you look like you're trying to say something there, or you just uh... no,
3: nothing, nothing in particular. I will just throw in because um, I was talking to Mike about it at the at the conference that I believe they're going to try and do a, an update about the whole sort of patent troll stuff and, and lots of, um in the next couple of weeks.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, you are going on this journey, uh, Saul, because you're you're in indie, and that gives you the freedom to be in indie. Um, are you do you working on your own products? Are you doing contract work? Are you working at all on the journey?
2: Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, actually, I've, I've been trying to work, um, although it's been a little, uh, little tough with uh, a little mishap I had before I left. And uh, am I not allowed to ask? <laughs> you, you're sort of looking at me like, like saying, please don't ask. So what's that then? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, yeah, so I um, uh, was doing some, uh, some work on the, the, the old laptop uh, right before I left for the airport and I left it on my desk.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: so you sat out
0: on a a two
2: month developer journey without your laptop? Yeah, well, and that's the thing. So I've got a replacement. It's got this stupid European keyboard that has been boggling me since you know since I got here. So yeah, no, I've I've been getting work done, uh, and uh, actually my my other laptop should be here um, or at least in Amsterdam soon. Uh, but I have uh, this this other computer. I've been getting some work done. Uh, but yeah, as an indie, I'm trying to. Uh, uh, Jumpstart my own apps. I've got a few in mind. I just uh, I showed Simon Wolf my list of ideas, and it's uh, it's quite long. Um, so I've got a lot of work to do myself. That's, that's good. That's good.
0: So you, you that's good. It's, it's an important point. If you come to Amsterdam, bring something to work on.
2: Yes. Uh, don't, well, so so the thing is, <laughs> it, was it was the
0: Hessian like, underwear. Made you just forget, <laughs> wasn't it?
2: <laughs> so so the thing is, is like I have my laptop bag. I take that thing everywhere with me, and it just you know with kids and everything running around the house, it's like well. I just had assumed that it was closed and everything was in there so I grabbed the bag and ran and uh I had forgot the all important step of putting computer in said bag. So yes. I feel fairly organized about my traveling now that I'm
0: never going to feel bad again.
3: I'm guessing it's not a, a 17-inch MacBook Pro then on the on the basis that you didn't notice the lack of weight. Yes, <laughs> uh, my,
2: well that's I guess that's the other thing, you know it's a 13-inch MacBook Air. So uh it, you know you don't really notice if it's in there or not. I'll, I'll accept that. I'll accept
0: that. So, um, you equally have done some open source stuff in the last sort of, um, year or two. Want to tell us a bit about that?
2: Yeah. So, um, when I was first learning how to do stuff with, uh, with core data, um, I found it really, uh, verbose. Uh, if you have to do all these fetch requests all over the place. So, um, I ended up, uh, you know, following my whole developer instinct and refactoring a lot of code. And eventually I extracted out this little library called Magical Record, which I have been pimping for about a year now. And, uh, you can find it, uh, on GitHub, but I also bought the magicalrecord.com domain. Oh. And I also have the magical record, uh, Twitter account, which I have been, um, maybe unwisely using for support. Uh, so yeah, that's, um, that's been an interesting experiment, actually. Um, I do, uh, search for people that say magical record on Twitter, and, uh, if they have questions, I'll try to answer it there. And uh you know, a lot of people will ask me questions and sometimes it ends up being more work than um than I thought it would be. I thought it would be more like um I don't know, just a helpful hint, like, hey, there's this Core Data thing, go look at Metro Record. And uh, yeah, it's 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 grown like much more than I ever thought possible, <laughs> frankly. Okay,
0: so explain explain the um the basis behind Magical Record. You said yeah, it's all verbose and blah 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 blah. Right, right, so, so how how does it work? What is it trying to achieve for you?
2: Right. So when you do uh, when you deal with core data you have uh, fetch requests and you've got to re- create a request you've got to set the entity you've got to set all these properties uh not only that you have to um catch the errors yourself and you have to do all this other stuff and then on top of that like uh doing fetches or saves on the background is is really a big pain in the butt to set up in code and maintain and all that stuff so the first step was to um to basically create a uh a fetch request um builder Kind of thing, and the way that I did that was to model it after active record in uh, Ruby on Rails uh, when, when I did some Ruby on Rails work, I found that there 's basically zero code to start you you inherit from this active record base and you get this really nice um, entity based fetch kind of uh, method that you can use to fetch all the data out of your out of your store so um, I really wanted that, and I was kind of uh, perplexed as to why that wasn't already in uh, Core Data because it seemed like such a, a brainless, easy thing. And you know, it actually is not very complicated to build. There's a few couple of there's there's a few methods in in Objective C that really help this along. Uh, and Magical Record is also meant to be used in conjunction with with Mo Generator. Um, if you're if you don't use Mo Generator to um, generate all your your NSManage object uh, subclasses, you're you're doing Core Data wrong. You need to use Mo Generator. So it uses that to kind of build um, the entity and get the entity description to kind of Auto-populate this thing for you. So really, instead of having to rewrite, you, you know, uh, you know, 10, 15 lines of fetch request code, uh, you ra- basically use one line of of pretty concise syntax that says entity find uh, att- you know find by a particular attribute with a value in a particular managed object context, and it finds everything, and it also will log any errors that you get. So so it it uh, con- you know consolidates a lot of code, and also in uh, in my mind makes it very easy because it's a very self-descriptive line of code.
0: Okay, so basically you you pass a few parameters and it generates all the fetch requests for you.
2: Right, it generates and executes and uh, manages the logging of any errors so okay. that you know what's going on in development
0: so sometimes things like NSPredicate can get quite complicated and you can do some f- fairly clever stuff, I mean, would you need to drop that to that, does magical records cover that at the
2: moment or? well, you know, I don't I never set out to replace NSPredicate because that is quite a complex class so really what it does, it'll just instead of a where clause, it'll just say well, pass in the predicate and then you can it'll handle it there
0: Right, so you can still set up an NSPredicate predicate
2: and then pass that through, and it will use it in whatever it builds. Right, and, and I knew NSPredicate predicate would be far more complex, so I didn't want to replace that. But everything else is just kind of built in, and and uh, generated on the fly. So, I mean, obviously, that makes it very convenient for developers
0: to um, to use it. I mean, are there going to be any performance issues with this because it's building stuff on the fly? Well, I mean, the how's thing it going is- to work with? Yeah. So stuff. the
2: thing is, I've 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 asked that question myself before, and it's like, well, it's not doing anything you wouldn't have to do anyway. The only th- couple of things that it does is to look up the entity description based on uh, your subclass or your your class name or that that little method that's generated for you in Mo Generator. Um, those are the only things that are extra so it's not a, it's not a, an enormous number of cycles um there're also a couple of extra stack levels because it goes through um you, you know i make small methods that kind of uh handle the flow control of everything so it's it's not anything you wouldn't have to do already um it also but the thing is it also manages the error logging. So if you really need, you know, you know, a lot of times by default with Core Data, you don't get any error handling at all. It doesn't log it. It doesn't. It just crashes, and then it's up to you to put it, something in the error uh, to catch the error and and uh, to notice that uh, no data was returned and all this stuff. That just it's it's so low level that you don't need to rewrite this all the time. So I just wrote it once and now it's, it just works all the time. Uh, so it's not a whole lot of extra stuff. Is is kind of the the, the answer.
0: Okay, I mean, and as far as getting data is concerned, you just get it back in a standard NS set, or you, you don't have to make any commitments. Well, no, it's an
2: NS array. Uh, it's just it, it it does the exact same thing Core Data does. I mean, because all it is is just collecting the same data back and just returning returning it to you. But it's also checking the the uh, returned values. So, like, if you get an empty array, uh, if you get if if you get an empty array, that's valid. But if you get a nil array. Uh, that's an error, so you have to actually check that. And uh, that's already handled in in, uh, Magical Record. Okay, so um, MagicalRecord.com, if people want to check that out. That'll point you to the GitHub repo. Um, It's uh, free, open source. One of the other things that I added to Magical Record recently was uh, a nice uh, data import library. I've been working on a 2.0 rewrite that basically cleans up some code. Um, I'm working on some documentation for this uh, import library. Uh, And all this thing will do is it'll use your, um, your uh, model diagram, and you can put um, keys to uh, the data that you're trying to import. So uh, the primary example is if you have like a RESTful uh, um, API or something that you download JSON data and it gets inserted into a, uh, an NS dictionary, uh, all you have to do is you, you start with uh, your entity, the one entity you want to start to import from, basically like the root of your your tree, and, um, you know, you just define mappings, uh, to those values. So it'll just automatically figure out which key, which value in your data goes to which property in the, um, in the entity. And, uh, it can do that for you. And you, all you need is one line of code. And then you just basically configure in the model, uh, these things in the user info dictionary. So you just specify the map key name, you can specify a linked by attribute, uh, you can specify, and it figures all this stuff out based on the model. So you really have almost zero code. You have one line of code to say start import and which entity you want to import into. And then after that, you just configure everything in the data model, and uh, you've got uh, basically free data import code. Uh, so, I mean, uh, it, it,
0: it, it, you would use Magical Record as much for, I mean, you've written an import here, but just general inserting of
2: data as you would for reading data. I mean, it works always. Does it? Well, for that particular case, I needed that because uh, in, in some of my work over the past year, I had uh, um, written JSON kind of importers at least four times. So it was like, this is a problem that can be solved. Uh, fairly easily, um, because it's just kind of, you know, you, you have the, the data as it's described in the model already. So why not just use that to your advantage and tell the, the data, the source data, here's what you need to, where you need to go.
0: So you said this was in 2.0. Is that in the code that people can go download now? Or is this yeah, so a they're... private repository on your hard disk that, of the machine you
2: left on your desk at home? No, or? no, 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 no. I, I wisely backed up everything, so I actually was able to get to my data very easily. Um, He's wagging his finger at me right now. Like, yes, how dare you think I wouldn't do that? Yes, backup. <laughs> <laughs> this show is sponsored to you by backup. <laughs> uh, no, so um, what was the question?
0: <laughs> uh, this is, is good for importing data, uh, for inserting data on a general. Let me, let me, let me say, okay. What wouldn't you use Magical Record for?
2: Uh, yeah, um, video. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so you can use it for um, fetching stuff from your core data store. Um, it also sets up your, your your core data stack in one line of code. Um, so that's much nicer. It's also much cleaner than the boilerplate garbage. Um, uh, let's see. So fetching, um, setting it up. Uh, I also have some helper methods for iCloud, which which make it uh, a really simple thing rather than having all this copy and paste code you fill out the the keys or the the container IDs and um you know all these things that you have to set up for court for iCloud and it just tells you when it's done setting up and then you have a little block handler uh so there's that it also I'm also writing stuff to do uh background saves which is which was a pain in the butt previously with the thread isolation mode where everything had to go down to the store and then you had to pull it up with another store by merging it you know if you know core data you know this is a big big pain in the butt and I I basically rewrote an API that was modeled off of UI view animations where you have um, a, a save uh, a save action that took a block and in that block you were passed in manage object context that was already pe- called on the um, it was already done and set up for you to be called or to work on the background uh, thread so you're not getting uh, colliding threads and stuff so you have this block with the context already set up you perform all your operations on that context when you exit the block it saves. And then I also have a thing where it has a completion handler that's called on the main thread and tells you that you're done saving. You're guaranteed that this data is ready for you. And it's, if you think I have like UI view animation duration with completion, it looks exactly like that except it has some different syntax for core data.
0: Okay, so what versions, I mean, does Magical Record work on iOS and OS X? What versions is it
2: compatible with? Uh, so the new, um, the new version uh, will be only Arc, iOS 5, and Lion uh, the old versions are previously tagged to something else, uh, to, to iOS 4 and, uh, Snow Leopard and such. Um, to the, you had said, you asked about which version is out there. It's, uh, 2.0 is a branch right now. It's not on the master. Um, I, I also try to tag everything so at least you can pick the point where you want to, um, import, uh, or import it into your project. You can get, I think, a 183 tag is out there right now. And that supports the old version. There's been a couple of bugs with that one because I was trying to make it so that you didn't have to care whether it was thread isolation versus private queue mode, which is the new way Core Data works. I was trying to toggle that, and that didn't really work very well. So I'm basically not going to do any legacy whatsoever. It's always going to be private queue because private queue is the fastest way to, to save stuff across context. So it's going to only support that, which means it'll only be iOS 5 and line from, from here on in.
0: Okay, so you're using the latest. You're not trying to be clever here. You're actually just basically wrapping the latest Core Data technology right. and was, making it more convenient, as opposed to trying to replace Core Data. You're trying to just make it put a layer on top to make it a bit more usable for people.
2: Right. It's it's really about the API and how you use it. And it's, for me, it's that's how I think about how it should work. Um, you know, in the pra- in the past, I had a method says that said um, an object context observes another context or observe other context which meant that's how it it turned on uh you know uh, the merging b- across threads and it was just a helper method it really just does the same thing in that method as you know listen on the notification center uh listen for for that context for the managed object context it save notification all that stuff it was just one method but it was really it just read to me like context start observing other context And it's really about that language and communicating your code, what this code actually does, rather than having, uh, you know, all the stuff that takes you uh, a little bit longer to decipher. So, yeah.
0: Cool. Cool. And does it have a, I know it's almost impossible to know when you've got an open source project, but do you know of a reasonable user base for it? Um, I, mean, I mean, if I go and use this, am I going to be the only person no, in the world using this? Not, am I
2: going to be Mr. Billy Nomates? <laughs> you will not be the only person. It is actually quite popular. Um, I think I have like a thousand watchers on GitHub, which is, it still boggles my mind that that, that many people have bookmarked uh, this library. Um, I do have quite a few people that use it in their apps. I was trying to put up a wiki page that uh, uh, listed all the apps that use Magical Record. Um, so if you do have an app that's using Magical Record, please add your app to the wiki page if you're allowed to. Um, some apps are not. Um, the one app that I, I point to as, as a really shining example, well, somewhat shining anyway, is the uh, the IMDB app. Um, the developer from that app, uh, he, I, he had contacted me for uh, a question, and um, he told me, yeah, I, I write IMDB and, and Magical Record's in there. I'm like... Really? Well, that's awesome. I never knew that. And then I went to the, uh, you know, the acknowledgement section and yeah, yeah, magical records listed in the acknowledgement. So it's pretty cool. So, you know, acknowledgements are nice. I can point to people that, that, hey, all my code is, is in the app store, even though I haven't uh, shipped my own specific app. I've, I've contributed to quite a few, um, over the past couple of years myself. Excellent. Excellent. So it's, uh, uh,
0: I mean, does it support, you know, all the stuff? I mean, we said don't put video in. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a standard Core Data thing. But um, uh, obviously now in the latest Core Data, you can, you, you can put video in because you can tell it to store externally. Um, you, can, you, you can set the flag up to tell it to, ex- to, to, to take binary data and store it. So, right. I mean, would it work with that? or is
2: it not Yeah, it'll still out? work with that. And that just follows the same Core Data rules. Um, really, all this thing does is, is write some handy helpers around uh, fetching. So if you know how to fetch properly, it's it's instead of having ten or fifteen lines of fetch code, you have one line. And uh, what you can also do, it follows a convention. So a lot of the fetch methods are like find by attribute value, colon value, uh, and and all that. But the thing is, is I also wrote it so that it was kind of by convention. So instead of find by whatever, it's request by whatever. And that'll return the fetch request so you can set any custom properties on there as well. And then you just basically intercept the request that it generates for you. And then you can reinsert it back into that execution pipeline so that, um, you know, all you're doing is setting a couple of extra parameters that I, I couldn't find a nice API for. So if you need to really customize requests such as uh, prefetching relationship key paths, um, that's not something that I can, uh, I could have figured out a, a proper API for. So the proper API is instead just grab the request, set that value on that request specifically, and then pass it back in through the execution stuff where it will then execute it. Check your error handling and do all that stuff, and then return it back to you so
0: this stuff will work properly with stuff like NSFetchResultsController? results controller.
2: Yes, I do have a couple of helper methods in there for fetch results controller that that uh, work as well. Uh, one of the things with that was to um, one of the recent changes was to add uh, a delegate parameter to the method so that you could set that prop before it performed the fetch so uh, when you when you fetch from the fetch results controller, it'll actually just do the fetch in that method rather than you having to do it separately. And if you need to do updates, you can do that uh, also later on.
0: That sounds cool. We'd love to hear from anybody who's using it. We'd love to uh,
2: know what you really think of it. Uh, I would especially. And if you have uh, feedback, you can definitely submit a ticket. I know I've been a little um, backlogged on the pull requests and such. it's it's hard when I'm trying to clean things up for everybody to make it better, um, but I also you know try to respond on uh, the magical record uh, Twitter account. Um, sometimes you interrupt me at lunch. Um, I, I will probably wait till after lunch to answer you. So be patient. Because nothing is more important than lunch. Right. <laughs> yes, please please understand.
1: You might you yeah you might interrupt my eating, and that's very important. John, you've been very quiet. You still there? I am still here. No, I I have another observation to make because I know Saul, that you know you spoke about uh about Ruby and Rails at last NS conference and you know I the, back in the, back when I did web objects you know work a million years ago and and when eof which is the precursor to core data came out you know I and, and and lots of other developers did quite the same thing you know they basically wrote their own classes their own kind of abstract super class for all their model objects and a bunch of helper classes for for, for fetching and whatnot just be able to kind of you know factor out a bunch of, of repetitive stuff but you know rails and in, in particular really you know does this a lot do you think you would have taken the same approach had you not spent some time working with Rails in other words didn't didn't that influence a lot in, in even your Objective-C work
2: yeah you know Rails has influenced my work a lot and I, I probably I, I always tell this to people and it's kind of uh, an odd thing to say but I probably would not know Objective-C as well as I do if I had not learned Ruby first uh, Ruby taught me how to lo- um, use dynamic languages and and just basically really manipulate things and think about code differently uh, so I, I, credit a lot of the things that I do now to, uh, a lot of the, 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 learnings from, I took from Ruby and, you know, Ruby and objective Z are very similar despite what, what it looks like on the surface. They're v- both very dynamic and they're both uh, very flexible. Um, ob- objective, C just takes a, a slightly more verbose take uh, on that. So, so yeah, it's, it's highly influential and, um, Yeah, and last year, like you said, I talked about MacRuby because I think you know that's, it, it, you know, a lot of things carry over into MacRuby as well.
1: Well, I think that that it kind of ties into the theme of of what you're doing and what we've been talking about throughout the show is that if you want to be the the best at what you do, you know whether you're you're writing code or, or being a marketeer or or doing user experience or user interface or graphic design, you you really do need to travel, and that can take many different forms. I mean, it doesn't mean that you have to get on a plane everywhere, but you really do need to make an effort to to go outside your your, your comfort zone, your, your usual habits, um, because you'll never get these influences. You know, I think that the most interesting music musicians, people like Peter Gabriel, for example, I don't think his music would be nearly as, as interesting had he not traveled so widely and, and collaborated with so many other different musicians. And I think the same thing could be said for, 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 for software engineering, which is absolutely an art, every much, you know, very much so as, as as writing and composing music.
0: You've called this magical record. I mean, and, and um, John puts a right point. You know, it's based on Ruby and yeah, Ruby on Rails and whatever else. Now, Ruby on Rails is very much a um, design by convention based system that you know you have to name things the right way for it all to work. Magical record follow the same sort of thing. You have to name things certain way to work, or is it just you chose? It's more the fact that it bases on a base class you're worried about than the fact that it's you know you've got to do certain
2: things by convention. So it's not a base class. It's actually a set of categories. Um, So it does a lot of stuff dynamically. So the thing is, is Magical Record, if you already have a bunch of fetch requests, it will not interrupt things that you have already written. So you can include this, slowly integrate into your code if you really want to. Um, The the name comes from a merging of of my my business name, Magical Panda, and the Active Record uh, style of doing uh, database programming. So yeah... um, I mean, design by convention is, is now, you've got to do it anyway. Arc
0: is designed by convention, isn't it? You, you've got to call things the right things, otherwise Arc doesn't work. So I mean, not necessarily saying that's bad. It's just saying, you know, is that something it was... Uh...
2: So the design by convention, I, I'm a big proponent of that because it does make code a lot easier um, to deal with if you know the convention. And this is kind of one of the things that, that really makes Rails programming difficult because if you go into it and you don't know the convention, you know how to code, but you don't know the conventions, so you're, you're totally lost. It's very confusing. And uh, I tried to not do that, go to that extreme uh, in this library. Uh, things are highly easy to find, uh, especially the code. Um, because I, one thing that I've been toying around with um, is doing uh, the dynamic finder kind of things. So if you if you look up a if you want to look up a property for example, like you want to look up the name instead of having find by attribute name value equals whatever it said just find by name and then you pass in the value to the parameter so you eliminate a parameter and there's there's merit in that, and that's one of those find by convention kind of magic things but i'm I'm leaning against that just because it's not as discoverable and it also takes some more work on the runtime. Um, well, not that I'm afraid of hacking the runtime, but in this particular case, I don't think there's a bang for the buck in doing uh, doing it in this particular case.
0: Okay, so so basically, you don't you're, you're trying to be sensible about doing it, and do you get enough return for for that type of thing? Because, I mean, right. that that's all over Ruby, isn't it? In, in, in active record, is You, know, you just find by anything, you know, and, and it just sort of you think, oh, what would I normally write? Oh, it works. Now, Magical Records, you're not going to get that because the implementation is, you know, t- more costly than the gains you're going to get, in your opinion.
2: Well, yeah, the implementation um, of doing a, of a dynamic finder will have some some cost penalty, but there's also optimizations. I mean, it would basically be, you know, I, as I mentioned in my runtime talk and uh, NS conference, you know, you send the first message, uh, the first message that doesn't exist, which would be this find by name uh, example, and it doesn't exist on the, uh, the entity class or the manage object class and then it would go and try to resolve that and then create a method for you that's basically already predefined that extracts the name and does all this fancy stuff at the runtime but it only do it once so it's not that costly I think the cost is more in the time and then the sensibility of does that really add to the, to the nature of the code I mean is find by attribute name with value uh, you know John uh, any more descriptive than find by name colon John is it is it i mean i that's that's my dilemma and I, i'm kind of leaning against that it doesn't doesn't seem to add that much value to me
0: well you're sort of you know the first has the Objective C conventions that we're used to, and, and you know, you, you don't want to take us away from that. I don't think that's my opinion, anyway. Not that it's worth anything. <laughs> <There we laughs> no,
2: are. and that's 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 actually what I'm thinking. Is like mm-hmm. it follows more. It's it's still a blend, right? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm influenced by Ruby, but it's not going to be my whole train of thought. Like I'm going to do ex- basically a clone of Active Record. That's not what this is.
0: Okay, so let, let, let's let's move to Ruby just for a moment. because I know you love Ruby. Um, you know, I may I may be totally wrong here, but you know. Um, and I know you like MacRuby and you've used MacRuby, but I thought MacRuby was pretty much dependent to work on the garbage collector within the Objective-C runtime, and hasn't garbage collection just been deprecated? Yes, it has. So does MacRuby Mac have a future? I'm not allowed to tell you. Okay. You heard it here first, folks. He's not allowed to tell you. That means he knows. I will take him out. I'll get him drunk. I'll let you know next week.
2: <laughs> well, you know... Um the, the, uh, the guy who spearheaded the whole Mac Ruby effort, um, I believe, is no longer at Apple. So, um, and my, it is my intention to find him in Belgium before I leave Europe and get him drunk so yeah, he can tell me everything. Belgium's a small country, you shouldn't have any trouble finding. Him. Right, and I hear the beer is really good. So, um, that I'm might hinder you dis- for disrespecting an entire country and a small nation of drunk. Yeah, how hard can it be to find
0: somebody in Belgium? <laughs> oh there we are I think I think we probably ought to bring that um, the show to a wrap unless someone's got something they need to just really get off their chest before you know John you got anything else you want to add to the to the show this week
1: well somebody in the chat room said uh, Saul loves Ruby so much he would marry it if A it was legal and B he wasn't remarried really hey, would you care to comment you. on that song <laughs> yeah that that was true that was you John um, but there we it's so a good way of
0: getting your opinions on the show is to post them in the chat room so what on a- <laughs> giving you a mic obviously isn't enough <laughs> okay let's uh let's um do a wrap up so uh th- thanks all for sharing about your journey and sharing about magical record um and uh, thank you simon for the um it very interrupted Avtag tag diaries we look forward to w- okay in, in your um uh kevin hotter in his talk at uh and conference said never give dates i'm gonna ask you when we're we gonna see the first uh, <laughs> first build of um- <laughs> <laughs>
3: my uh, my legal representative, who is called Kevin Hockton, has advised me not to answer that question.
0: Yes. Uh, this,
3: this summer, hopefully. Oh, there we are. He there has it. i as vague as that.
0: Now, Apple have had summers that go right through to the end of September. Exactly. So we might later. End of September, folks. If you haven't seen the first builds by then, he's a liar and a cheat and a thief. You'll find him in drowning his
1: sorrows in a bar somewhere off the Grand Place in Brussels.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, if he's in Brussels, he can find the guy who writes uh, <laughs> Mac Ruby and tell Saul what's going on. <laughs> Right, okay, um, let's wrap this show up. Uh, Saul, tell us about uh, about where people can find um, your you, know, you on Twitter, your blog, anything you want people to know out there.
2: Yeah, so I'm on Twitter, um, at Casa de Mora. Um, I don't really do a blog because I do a podcast instead, which is a lot more work. Uh, you can find the podcast uh, at, on the Twitters. It's at NSBrief. Uh, and you can go to nsbrief.com, just search for NSBrief on iTunes. Um this NSBrief branding has actually worked out. I do the uh, the uh, stats on that, and everybody seems to know NSBrief. So so thanks everybody for listening.
0: Yeah, NSBrief I can I can tell you folks it's a it's a good podcast. I like it. Um I think you should particularly check out episode Oh, there's an episode where we had Scotty on. Yeah, episode twenty four. Episode twenty four I think was your best episode. <laughs> Simon, if you can wrestle the microphone off-saw, tell us who you are and where
3: you can find him. Um, I am Simon Wolfe. You can find me on Twitter as SGAW, and I've got a website at ottersoftware.com where you'll find a link to my growingly infrequently updated um, blog.
0: So just watching the comments on short, uh, source sex life going on in the chat room now, (laughs) based around the last comments on Ruby. Um, (laughs)
1: uh, uh, John. Yes, well, my name is John Fox. My product is Memory Miner, which I had a great time uh, getting feedback and showing a little bit of the, the Memory Miner viewer for iOS, which will be shipping sometime. I won't say soon, but shipping sometime. Hey, that's more uh, commitment. You can find than out all about MemoryMiner on memoryminer.com. You can follow me on Twitter as Jembe, DJ D-J-E-M-B, like the West African instrument. Oh, and I will definitely be posting in the show notes my collection of NS Snark photos, which uh, turned out quite well, I think.
0: And uh, my name is Scotty. You can uh, catch uh, the, the stuff at iDeveloper.tv. Um, on Twitter, it's at MacDevNet. Um, and okay, we raised okay uh, three thousand eight hundred and something pounds at NS conference for charity water, which I think comes to six thousand and fifty five dollars. I think I think it was. Um, we're going to put that up onto charity water uh, probably tomorrow morning. Um, and yet charity water do a drawdown of money on a quarterly basis. So the thirty first of this month. Um, if you listen to this after the thirty first of March, you've missed it. They're going to do it. So I I thought rather than just give them the six thousand dollars, I'll put up a campaign i'll say we're aiming to range ten thousand dollars and if you want ns conference and you want to help top up that six thousand uh, dollars to ten thousand dollars then um there'll be a link in the show notes um if you go to i think it's charity water slash ns conference 2012 follow the show notes and uh, you know 10 bucks five bucks 50 bucks thousand bucks whatever um let's top it up to ten thousand dollars and uh, um that will give water to uh Two villages uh, somewhere in the world, um, 500 people. Um, So thank you to everyone at NS Conference for doing that. Um, I am going to give a shout out to Coco's my girlfriend who supplied uh, a prize for for raising that. Um, So uh, those guys were great. Um, And that's it for this week. I'm sort of now supposed to be sort of twiddling more knobs and dials and and things are supposed to be working and it's supposed to be all sounding professional, but that's not really happening. Um, So I'm just going to waffle until I find the right button. I think that's this one. So until next time, you take care.